live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 8. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Dark Paranormal, Season 8. Thank you so much to everyone who reached out with feedback following last week's episode where we met our paranormal pasta. Since the episode, I've been inundated with your tales of your Ouija board experiences. And from taking a read through them, one thing is very clear. We're no closer to knowing how this thing works or the damage it can do. On today's episode, we get something of a rarity. It appears in today's true paranormal experience that someone is being haunted by two individual yet related spirits. And these are two spirits who appear to be capable of a lot of harm. Before we get to today's experience though, I've got some exciting news. We've had a listener get in touch with perhaps one of the most petrifying tales you will ever hear. And I'm going to save that for our Halloween special. Season 8 is due to finish on the 21st of October which means we have a couple of weeks to prepare something very special for Halloween. This will be a multi-episode special, and we're figuring out ways to make it as interactive as possible. That's all I'll say in it right now whilst we work on the details, but believe me, you won't want to miss this Halloween special. We'll have more information in the upcoming shows. As ever, Before we begin today's true paranormal experience, we need to of course thank our wonderful Patreons. When you sign up to Patreon, not only do you receive these episodes ad-free and before everyone else, you can also receive access to our Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites releases each and every Sunday, even on the downtime in between seasons, meaning you never miss your paranormal fix. And right now, there are months and months of Dark Bites back episodes to binge. We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over on Patreon. And we'd like to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. Just like these wonderful new team members have. Joe Beckinsall, Patrick Walsh, Ryan Harper, Angela Rojas, Holly Perry, Danita Kelly, Adam Knowles, Gabby, Oscar Miguel, Chance, Emily Verita, Carson, Courtney Shaller, Melissa, Sarah H, Lucy Telford, Ravina Black, T.A., Tamara Beeble, Stephen Weston, Jessica Castro, The Saucy Pizza, Jamie Bell, Victoria, Joshua Matthew Sinclair and Sophie O'Connor. Thank you so much, guys. I truly hope you enjoy all of the early releases, the ad-free content, and of course, the Dark Bites Patreon-only shows. So don't forget, if you'd like to join the team, head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal. But right now, lower the lights, make yourself comfortable, and of course, leave your disbelief at the door. As we hear, hate springs eternal. I guess I should start by telling you a few things about myself. My name's Amy and I'm now a mum of two, an architect, happily married and living on the southwest coast of England, just outside of Penzance. But the me in this account 
is far removed from the happy and content middle-aged woman who sits typing this. My experience took place in 2001. I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels like that date still sounds recent, and not the actual 21 years ago that it is. It truly feels like only yesterday. Perhaps that's why the following events are so easy to recall. In 2001, I was in the final year of studying for my master's degree in London, university disclosed. My boyfriend at the time I'd been with for about 18 months. Richard was a year older than me and completed his master's degree the year before. Richard was a lad's lad, good-looking with it too. He was flirtatious to a fault, but would carry it off in a very socially acceptable way. Despite his outgoing personality, he never gave me a genuine reason to feel insecure. And when we were out, he would act in such a way that there was never any doubt who his girlfriend was. We were also best mates. Sure, we'd take the piss out of each other all day long, but we did have each other's back. Looking back now, I do think in spite of what was to come, we were happy. In fact, exceptionally happy. Our joint circumstance transpired that we both needed to look for new digs around the same time. And, both of us with slight trepidation, we decided we should take the plunge and move in somewhere together. That's when reality hit. Richard's finances were a bit of a mess, with his student loans no longer coming through and his family telling him it was time to stand on his own two feet. It meant my paltry student loan and my bartending wage at the local uni bar were all at that point we had as collateral, whilst Richard applied for every available job that he could, or at least so he told me. As a stopgap, my manager at the uni bar said he could get Richard some bar work at a swanky wine bar in the West End. Richard reluctantly agreed to take a few shifts, after much nagging from me explaining that we needed to find a place within the next month, and with my income alone, we wouldn't have much hope. A few weeks later, after scouring the property market to no avail, we were stood in a tiny one-bedroom apartment on the outskirts of Blackheath. Blackheath is a relatively affluent area of London, but you wouldn't know it from this place. There was a musty smell. I didn't know what damp was at the time, but I know now this place was full of it. One thing that always sticks in my mind was this grease-covered gas cooker in the corner. I remember getting really angry, thinking, wouldn't you think they'd at least clean the oven before we came over? Funny what can anger you, or at least what I thought at the time was causing my anger. Richard was all smiles with the letting agent as per usual, but I was surprised when the letting agent gave us a few minutes alone and Richard's smile remained. I like it, he said. Are you kidding? I replied, genuinely thinking he was on the wind-up. His smile dropped. Listen, Amy, this is the only thing within our budget, 
and it's only just in our budget. Everything else we've seen has been at least 50% dearer. He raised his arms and gestured to the room. It could be all right, this. A lick of paint. Throw that out of the window, he said, pointing at the oven with a smile. That brought a smile to my face. He was right, of course. You just never want to admit to yourself when your circumstances turn so bleak. And so we shook hands with the letting agent and the deal was done. Richard walked out with the guy, being his usual overly sociable self. I lingered behind in the living area and just tried to picture living here. Even then it was tangible. It's hard to describe, but I'll try. It was like the four walls had an invisible additional four feet thick. Energy. Making the middle of the room the only truly comfortable place to stand. Venture close to any wall and you would almost feel part of the room. An oppressive bleakness would push down on your shoulders. Amy, come on! Richard shouted from the landing. I gave myself a quick shake and walked out to meet him. We did what we could to make the place feel homely, and we actually done a really good job. We found a lovely antique-looking glass coffee table to sit in the centre of the room, and I bought a spider plant to rest in the middle of that. Heavy black curtains replaced a tired yellow netting, fresh white paint on every wall. If I were to show you a photograph of the renovations we done, you would think it was a totally lovely place to live. But a photograph could never convey the feelings that seemingly seeped out of the walls. To be frank, this place, the place I now called home, creeped me out. Believe me, there is no worse feeling than not feeling comfortable in your alleged safe space. You find yourself in a constant state of anxiety, not wanting to be at home, but having nowhere else to go. I tried voicing my concerns to Richard. You're being silly, he replied. It's not the Ritz, I grant you, but it's not that bad, he smiled. It just feels dark. Well, we'll get brighter light bulbs then, he laughed. No, no, I mean emotionally dark. Oh, you're psychic now too, he said. I remember him saying this. It wasn't the usual light-hearted poke at each other. This was an annoyed, sarcastic jab. Don't be a tit, Richard, I said, getting my guard up. We then shared the most uncomfortable silence since we'd met. Listen, I... The living room door slammed shut of its own volition, silencing Richard in mid-sentence. Did you leave the front door open, or the bedroom window open? He said, walking over to the door. Did I? I said, not taking too kindly to the accusation. You know what I mean, he muttered opening the living room door and heading to the hallway. Well, I shouted. Both closed, he shouted back. Richard walked back into the room looking confused. I gave a, that's what I mean, type of shrug. Richard just shook his head, checked his watch and said, right, 
I've got a shift in an hour or so, so I best be off. I couldn't believe that that was the first thing out of his mouth after witnessing that. Oh, he said, stopping in the doorway. There's like a work-drink thing tonight after we close. Oh, cool, I replied. What time should I get down? Yeah, it, it's not like a partner's thing. Annoyingly. It's just staff and management, you know. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, so I'll be home late. Okay, I nodded in reply as he headed out of the front door. I've worked in enough bars to know that after-work drinks were an all-inclusive affair normally. It's how I've met some of my best friends as colleagues bring their friends or their partners. Mind you, I thought, giving the benefit of the doubt, I've never worked in a swanky wine bar before, so maybe it's different there. Then the strangest thing happened. I burst into tears. I mean uncontrollably burst into tears, bent double, falling to the floor. It was as if a helpless depression had landed on me like a ton of bricks. I was retching for breath as I wept. I felt like I wanted out, like life couldn't go on. I crawled, still sobbing, to the hallway and fumbled open the front door. Heavy in my head was the thought that I was going to leave this flat and take my own life. I staggered out into the hallway and... I was fine. Instantly. My breathing was calm, my tears stopped, and I was left both bewildered and terrified about where my mind had just been seconds before. I was so freaked out by the experience, I closed the front door and headed over to my friend's home, Charlotte. So, let me get this right. The door closed by itself, and then you start crying? Asked Charlotte as she passed me a coffee. She sat down and joined me at the kitchen table. Charlotte was my best friend from the unibar, but she was also notorious for straight talking, almost offensively. No, well, yes, but not as black and white as that. It was terrifying, Charles. Charlotte nodded but pulled her, this sounds like bollocks, face. Listen, Charlotte. Now I started crying. I don't know what it is, but something's not right in that flat. Come over and see for yourself. Fine, said Charlotte, grabbing her coat off the back of the chair. And once we've sorted your head out, we can go and get pissed. Deal? I wiped my eyes and nodded back. Oh, Amy, it's lovely, said Charlotte as she walked into the living room. Looks like a bombsite from the outside, but this is great, she continued as she walked into the bedroom. I followed behind. I mean, you're a pair of messy bastards, but other than that... I frowned. I was a clean freak, meticulously so. I walked up and past Charlotte, and... I couldn't believe my eyes. Every cupboard, every drawer of the bedroom was wide open. The bedsheets had been stripped and rolled into a ball, flung into the corner of the room. I'd only been gone the best part of an hour and a half, and this was not how the room was left. This 
this has all happened whilst I was out, I muttered. So Richard's done it then, she replied. I shook my head. Richard's in the West End working a shift. Charlotte pulled a strange face. Right, okay. We stood in silence taking in the mess of the bedroom. I checked my thoughts to make sure I wasn't about to succumb to that horrid depression again. No, no signs. But there was something. An absolute unwarranted anger. A hatred. I felt it in the pit of my stomach. My breathing became heavy. Do you feel different now? I asked Charlotte. Like what? She replied. Well, like... From the living room came a loud crash. Charlotte headed out first. Jesus, she muttered as she walked into the room. The glass coffee table was turned upside down in the middle of the living room. Mud from the potted spider plant covered the beige carpet in between the shards of glass. How did that... Charlotte stopped mid-question. She shook her head quickly. Get a bin bag in the hoover. Let's sort this out. That's it, I replied, pointing at the mess. That throws itself around the room, and you say, let's clean it up. Well, we can fucking leave it then, she snapped back. I wanted to grab her by the throat. This, this wasn't me. I quickly realized something was happening to me, and I headed for the front door. Come on, let's go, now. Charlotte stormed past me, knocking into my shoulder as she went past with force. That was it. I was ready to kill her now. I stomped out and closed the front door, and my anger just went. Charlotte had a really confused look on her face. She raised her hand to her mouth. I was ready to kill you in there, she said. Me too, I replied. Charlotte shook her head in disbelief. Let's get the pub right now. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com.
we sat at a table in the unibar and drank heavily, throwing theories around about what might be causing the activity in the flat, and agreeing that given Richard was out until God knows when, I would be spending the night at Charlotte's. When the subject of Richard came up, Charlotte went rather sheepish. What is it? I asked. Probably nothing, she replied. But, before you got to mine earlier, I was coming back from the shops and I'm sure I saw Richard getting into a cab. With a girl. Something in my stomach dropped. How sure are you it was him? Pretty sure, she said. I mean, he could have just been sharing a cab to work with her though. She added, for my benefit. Why don't you text him and ask? She said. Well, he never has any credit on his phone, I replied. But where's Skint Charlotte? I don't know why he'd even be splitting a cab. That would be about two hours wages to get a cab from here to the West End. Charlotte just shrugged. Maybe it wasn't him then. But something in me knew otherwise. The next morning, I walked into the flat to find a very hungover Richard stood next to a bin bag, hoovering the remnants of mud from the carpet. Noticing me walking in, he turned the hoover off. I'm really sorry, Amy. I was plastered last night. I can't remember doing it, but I must have knocked this table over. I just nodded. I didn't want to broach the subject. My mind had been mulling over just one question. Did you get a taxi to work yesterday? Richard pulled a face. No, I got the bus as usual. Right. So you wasn't, say, getting into a taxi outside M&S on the high street about six o'clock then? What? No? He said, turning the hoover back on to signal the end of the conversation. I walked over and unplugged the hoover from the wall. Are you cheating on me? Be honest, I asked, arms folded. You're mental, you are. Is this because I didn't invite you to the work drinks? You need to chill out. Today, we'd call this gaslighting. Back then, it was just annoying as hell. Charlotte said that... What's that? I asked. Richard sighed. It's been doing that all night. It's that monitor in the boiler cupboard. I walked into the bedroom and opened the cupboard. The carbon monoxide detector was flashing red and bleeping. I stormed back into the living room. Are you stupid? This means there's carbon monoxide in the room? You could have been killed? Oh, it's probably just the batteries dying in it. He waved me off. I shook my head and pulled out the landlord's folder found the number for the contractor and explained what was going on. He said he could be out within the hour. I hung up the phone and walked back into the living room. He said he'll be here in the... Rich? Richard was glaring at me. Wide-eyed. His hand was white from furiously squeezing the Hoover attachment. Rich? I repeated. Through gritted teeth, he muttered. I'm bloody sick of you. To his left, I watched in shock as the bin bag top began to wrap itself in a coil, and then it launched itself against the back wall. 
all the while Richard didn't take his gaze off me. I backed up slowly and then turned and ran for the front door. I heard the pounding steps of Richard chasing behind. I literally dived into the hallway. Richard followed inches behind me. Just like before, his face came over all confused. He glanced back into the flat, then back to me. What's just happened? I sat him down on the communal steps and explained what myself and Charlotte had experienced only the night before. And the fact he didn't cause the coffee table to break. He listened, nodding and shaking his head in equal measure at each point. Is it Amy? came a man's voice from the hallway. It was the contractor holding a new monitor in his hands. Back in the bedroom, the man pulled out a piece of equipment and moved it slowly around the small area inside the cupboard, before tapping a few things on its screen. There's no carbon monoxide leak, and that monitor was only changed when you moved in. So why is it going off? asked Richard. The guy shrugged. No idea. Could be a number of reasons, really. But it's not carbon monoxide. I can swap it for a new model now, but it's 30 quid. I'd suggest getting it, though. Isn't that the landlord's responsibility? I asked. The guy smiled. Have you tried getting anything out of him yet? Not yet, I replied. Trust me, you're best paying for it yourself. Especially after the last tenants. The last tenants, I asked. Yeah, didn't he tell? Of course he didn't tell you. Same thing as this. The monitor was faulty. The couple who had it said they didn't want to pay. Well, she did, he didn't. Said it was down to the landlord. They had a leak whilst he was on nights. Came back and found her on the bedroom floor. You can only imagine how he felt. Anyway... I think it was an overdose he had. Accidental, allegedly, in the living room. Anyway, none of this is a scare story to make you buy it. It's no skin off my nose, but it does show how important they are. I was in shock. Now it all started to make sense. The anger in the flat, I figured, must be her. Surely. And the depression... Well, it was now clear that must be coming from the man. Richard began talking. So if I get in touch with the landlord, he should pay for it. I'll buy it now, I interrupted, pulling out my purse from my bag on the bed. I shook my head at Richard. How could you hear that story and still be so tight? It's for the best, love, said the guy, and he went about setting up the new monitor. After he left, I was still reeling from the story we'd just heard. Richard came in after seeing the man to the door. He seen you coming, didn't he? He laughed. What? I replied. You don't believe all that, do you? He's just conned you out of 30 quid. Don't be so stupid, Richard. Why would he make it up? It makes sense if you think about everything I've just told you. Richard smiled and shook his head and shrugged. Oh, by the way, I meant to say, one of the breweries is having an away weekend for clients this weekend. Some hotel in Luton. I think the groom and me for management, so I'm going to go, obviously. 
I just felt utterly deflated and defeated, like no one cared, and no one was taking me seriously. Now I'm just meant to believe this tale too. I just shrugged and said, Fine, sounds good. Richard gave me a wink and whistled his way to the bathroom. There was an instant pressure on both of my shoulders and my breath was taken away. I knew this feeling and I knew I was seconds away from bawling myself into pieces. I quickly ran to the front door and jumped outside. That night I just couldn't sleep. The following night was Friday and Richard would be off to his alleged work retreat. I was being lied to. I just knew it. I couldn't bear the thought of spending another night alone in this flat. The emotions it was able to force on you were literally life-threatening. My thoughts drifted into the couple who'd previously lived and died here. They must be the cause. I didn't need to imagine the anger the woman must have felt at her partner refusing to buy the monitor because I felt it myself when Richard nearly done the same. And the guilt, the depression, it must be down to the man whose ultimate tightness had cost his partner her life. The thought of them both remaining in the place where... I glanced through the darkness to the foot of the bed. The door to the boiler was opening inch by inch. Richard! Rich! I shouted in a whisper, nudging him to wake him up. (gasps) Richard sat bolt upright in bed. I'm sorry, Richard blurted out, before opening his eyes and looking around. I was a bag of nerves at this point. Shh, I said, trying to calm him. I leant over and put the lights on. I, I, I had a nightmare. Yeah, I know, I replied. And that door's just opened by itself, I said, pointing. Oh, stop it, Amy, he growled and turned over, throwing the covers up on his shoulder. I stayed awake with the lights on for the rest of the night. The next morning, I called Charlotte and asked if I could spend the weekend in hers, given Richard would be at a work thing all weekend. She said it was fine, but sounded slightly distracted. That evening in Charlotte's, we ordered a takeaway and cracked open the first of many bottles of wine. I filled Charlotte in on the flat's apparent history and the incidents which had happened since she was there. Charlotte looked down at her phone, read the message and sighed. Amy, you're gonna need more wine. Charlotte went on to explain that she had a friend who worked at the same wine bar as Richard and after she'd seen him getting into the taxi and heard him deny it, she'd asked her friend to keep an eye on Richard. This text had just confirmed that there was no brewery event taking place that weekend. Not only that, but a new girl had apparently announced to Charlotte's friend last night that she and Richard were off to spend the weekend in Margate, a seaside town on the southeast coast. I was numb at the news, but at the same time, not totally shocked. I knew. Deep down, I knew. 
I called Richard's mobile and it rung out. Five minutes later, my phone rang. It was Richard's number. He had credit for once. Unsurprising. Hi, I began. How's Margate? There was a long and lengthy pause. Then Richard said, Uh, yeah, great. There was a mess up and it turns out the brewery had booked the same named hotel but in Margate, not in Luton. He fake laughed with nerves. How did you know it had been changed? I hung up. Charlotte called a friend of hers who had a small transit van and we headed over to the flat that very same night. I drunkenly threw all my belongings into bin bags while Charlotte stood at the front door, keeping it open should I need to dive out at any point. Richard didn't attempt to call again until that Monday, once he'd arrived home and found all my things gone. I fully expected he'd come groveling, probably with more lies, but he didn't. I don't know if it was because him and the new girl had took up together, or because he was just an utter coward. But either way, he didn't, and slowly life moved on. A few months later, Charlotte called me to say Richard had been found unresponsive in the flat by his new girlfriend. Details were hazy, but drugs were involved. Some said he'd accidentally overdosed and collapsed, banging his head as he fell, causing a huge laceration. Others said it wasn't accidental. Some even said he was attacked by something and left for dead. He survived, however. His girlfriend had gotten there in the nick of time and called an ambulance. To this day, I still don't know what actually happened to him on that night. However, I have a strong suspicion that wherever it was, was either influenced by, or completely caused by, one of the two spirits within that flat. I'd love to hear your and your listeners' thoughts. Amy Wow. Such a compelling and terrifying series of events there for Amy. And for what it's worth, Amy, I'll give you my thoughts on that experience. To me, I initially thought this was going to be a stone tape theory type of haunting. The idea that some strong emotion had imprinted itself onto the surrounding environment. However, from what you've described, this sounds much more sentient than a typical replaying of emotion. There seems to be an intelligence behind whichever darkness was coming down on either you, Charlotte, or your partner at the time, Richard. And given that none of us are experts in this field by any stretch of the imagination, I'd go with your belief that the two overpowering emotions of anger and misery make logical sense to be originating from those two separate spirits. But either way, that is one tremendous paranormal experience. And listeners, as Amy says, if you have your own theory, email me, thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of The Dark Paranormal. For our Patreons, I will speak to you on Sunday for another episode of Dark Bites. And for everyone, I will speak to you next week 
for yet another true paranormal experience. But until then, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave a piece of your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time, here, on The Dark Paranormal.